Um, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. I'm really, really excited to do this series. Um, some of the people who serve here at church, who is, I was in the car with, with you, Lisa, and Lisa was telling me that she, one of the things she likes about our church is almost every week there's something new. Um, and something completely different that we're doing. This, this breakfast for school kids just popped out of nowhere. And here we are doing it. And then, you know, we're serving in Scarborough and, and all of these things. And uh, some of the people that serve with me um, often um, don't really like it. Because they, they feel like I'm, like I'm on like some kind of, uh, you know, uh, excitative drug, like cocaine or something, you know, like I'm on speed, you know, and I'm always have new ideas and new things I want to do. And, and you know what, um, I have to tell you, uh, when we were, when we were, uh, yeah, there's some eyebrows going up there in the back there, uh, you know, you know who you are, who wish I would slow down, right? And I'll tell you, it's because, you know, what I'm, what we're talking about here. Um, what we're talking about here is is really like it's really the heart and soul of this. And when I when I saw um, when I when I when I attended it, actually a talk on this topic, I said I I, I have to speak about this because there's probably nothing I'm going to speak about more passionately than I believe in more than this. Um, so I think I don't I don't think the recording is ready to record yet, but whatever, we'll fill it in with some audio or something. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. One God, amen. Our series is called Live Till You Die. And that might sound obvious to you, like that's pretty much what happens, right? People carry on living and then one day they stop living and at that point we consider that they are deceased, they've passed away, they're, they're in lack of better words, they're dead right um, and uh, and then such as that's just how it works so wh why do a whole four-week series on such a thing because the reality is is that there's so many people and I'm one of them and I have been and there are, are areas of my life which still are where I'm not alive I'll give you an example um, as I uh, as I, you know I progressed in my career I had to start going to more and more professional functions and those of you who know me well know that I kind of just for the large part wear my heart on my sleeve um, it takes me a lot of effort not to say everything that I'm actually thinking uh, a whole lot of things that don't work well in these very you know uh, these very manicured cultured settings where everybody would seem to me is there but doesn't actually want to be there and neither do I I would rather be doing a whole lot of other things but for whatever reason I've been asked to represent the department or now as a priest I have I have to go to these things so I have I was really lucky to have this mentor um, in pediatric surgery and I still call him up every now and again this guy Sharif Emil chief of pediatric surgery in Montreal this guy knows something about everything and he knows actually a lot about everything so I remember asking him once Sharif how do you know so much about so many different things? And he said to me, he said to me, every now and again, you get caught in the elevator with some, you know, infectious diseases guy who just discovered some new property of some bacteria or something. And he's so excited to tell everybody about it. And you're like, you couldn't care less, right? Try to pay attention. Try to learn something. Tr try to be the better for it so that when you walk out of that elevator ask yourself what did I learn uh, what did I benefit what was the use of my of my being here right and I remember calling him up once and asking him 
what to do about these social functions that I have absolutely no, or professional functions that I have absolutely no interest in. And now as a priest, there are also times where I have to go and I have to be present at something. I'm on various committees with the Canadian Council of Churches and all this stuff. And like, you know, like, like I love the people, but the subject matter is not something that I'm very passionate about. And, you know, I'm kind of representing the Coptic Church and it's kind of I'm doing, my, my, I'm doing what I should do, right? Well, you know what? He told me something. He told me, remember what I told you about trying to learn something from everybody that you meet? Do that. You're not going to be in this council meeting again this spring or this fall or this whatever, right? It's just this once. What do you want to make out of this? He used to coach me for my interviews and he would tell me when people ask you a question in an interview, you need to give an answer that's going to make them ask the next question that they ask is the question you want to answer. You walk into an interview and they're driving. Within, within the first third of the interview, he used to tell me, you've got to start driving the interview. That doesn't mean be annoying and pushy. That means give answers that like have a cliffhanger. So they want to ask you about that and they forget about their notes and they start asking about the stuff you want to talk about take control of the situation not to be manipulative but to make the most of it and in the in our context here for God's glory Mary was sharing this with me in this news this woman in Nova Scotia is with breast cancer and is is terminal and she is actually chosen um, physician assisted dying or death you know um, end of life and um, uh, part of the laws about that, it's very, it's very complicated stuff. Part of the laws of that is that you have to be fully copus mentis. You have to be fully alert and aware uh, when y your life ends, when you make the decision that this is the time. So you can't wait. You can't say, you, like, I want to wait until this certain time. I'm not an expert, but from this article and following this a little bit. Not that I'm, like, into physician-assisted dying or anything like that, and that's a whole other topic for another day. But... The point is this, this lady has a couple of weeks left to live and she decides I'm going to spend them trying to change the law because the law is not in favor of the people who need this. The law is protecting them, defending them from other things and we could discuss it some other time. But it's not, she's got a couple of weeks left to live and she, she could be bemoaning her, her condition. She could be, you know, uh, surrendering to her death and, and just like laying in bed doing nothing but she's not she can't get out of bed but she she's lobbying and she's fighting for what she thinks is right she's making every last minute count what about you what about me how many days go by and i think to myself what did i do today and i can't answer the question and the reality is that there's this there's this illusion that we have that we're going to live forever and at the same time, we live in a constant fear of death. It's a very strange paradox that we're in. What, why do I say that we, we, we think we're going to live forever? Because we behave that way. I behave like there's always a tomorrow. I behave like I can procrastinate the important things in my life. Like, I don't have to call my mom and my dad now. My mom and dad are fine. They're in relatively good health. They take care of themselves. How often do I call them? How important are they to me? Am I making the most of every moment? 
Or am I assuming that there will always be a tomorrow? The, the signature line of my spiritual father when he sends me an email is this quote from St. Augustine. He says, God has promised you today for your repentance. He has not promised you tomorrow for your procrastination. In Job 14, it says, the days of man are numbered. I'm not going to live forever. I've got news for you. It's really big news. I'm going to die. And so are you. Not to be morbid, not to be like, you know, but it's our reality. So in this limited period of time, what am I going to do? And the moment that I have guaranteed is now. And that's the moment I need to take hold of and do what I think is the most meaningful with. There's a beautiful story about this in the Old Testament. The city of God was under siege and there's famine and a massive, massive army surrounding the city and they locked the gates. And there were these four lepers and they were sitting outside the gates. And there's, so like, look at the situation of these four men, right? It was not the situation of opportunity. So number one, they're lepers. They have a disease which is eating them alive, literally. Number two, because of that, no one wants to be anywhere near them and they're outcasts. Number three, they're at war. Anytime you're at war, you're in trouble. Number four, they're on the losing team at war. Number five, there's famine. I mean, these guys are screwed. Like they don't have a hope in anything, right? And they're sitting outside the gates and they're talking amongst themselves. And they say, why do we sit here until we die? Why do we sit here until we die? And then they come up with this idea. They say, what if we go, let's go to the enemy. Maybe they have food and they'll feed us. We can't go in the city. They threw us out of the city. So the only other place to go is the enemy. If they kill us, we die. Queen Esther goes to see the king unlawfully, which should be punished by death, to beg of him the life of her nation. And when her, her, when her, when her attendants tell her, what are you doing? You can't do that. She says, I go and if I perish, I perish. My favorite lines in scripture. They say, why do we sit here until we die? Maybe the enemy will feed us. Maybe they'll kill us. It'll be better than sitting here and waiting to die. Why do I sit here until I die? Those of you who know me well, and those of you who don't, you'll know now. I'm kind of moody, kind of a lot right? Like, you know, the moody teenager phase, I kind of grew out of it, but kind of not really, right? My poor wife, right? There are days that I wake up in the morning and I have to coach myself. I have to coach myself. November 11th, 2018 is never going to happen again, John. Pull up your bootstraps. You know, you don't feel like it. You know, you're upset and grumpy for no good reason. Just, just, just do it. Just why do you sit here until you die? Why not do something which leads, leads to life? And we'll share the end of their story as we go. There's another beautiful story in the Old Testament where um, the men of King David were at war. And King David had like a, a little clan amongst his, his, his army called the Mighty Men. One of those Mighty Men was Shammah. So the, the general of the army decided that the war was too fierce and that they should retreat. Shammah said, no way. And he stood his ground, planted his feet, 
right? And he fought, and he fought until God gave him an enormous victory. Yes, he overcame the remainder of an army alone. And he said, if I die, I die. We live uh, not too far from the Humber River, and every now and again we'll go on a walk there. A couple of t- I think it's a couple of times a year the, the, uh, the fish swim to go lay their eggs or something. I'm not, I'm not, very, I'm not a zoologist. Uh, I don't really know exactly how, how it works. But, right? but this, the, the fish swim up, upstream. And it's magnificent because there's this, there's this place where it changes level and you see the fish jumping out of the river and they're jumping and they're swimming, right? It's just magnificent to see these fish, large fish, able to swim against the current up and throw themselves over this like little dam um, to get to the other side. The other day, Mary and I and the kid, the girls were there and we were take, going for a walk and it stank of like dead fish, you know? So Mary asked me, what's that smell? I said, oh, it must be a dead fish. There must have been a fish that wasn't able to swim up the stream. You see, the live fish are swimming against the current. The dead ones are just floating along and they stink. Which, which am I? What is, when I look at my day, what, is it, what does it say? Which am I? In the book of Revelation, the Lord Jesus Christ speaks to Christians, not to non-Christians, not to the pagans and the heathens. He speaks to Christians. He speaks to the church of Sardis. And he says, I know your works, that you have a name, but that you are dead. What about me? You, you know what I mean? Do you know what I mean by dead? I gave you an example, like when I go to these social functions and I just go and I sit there, I sip my tea, my coffee quietly, don't make a fool of myself, just sit, you know, and leave. Had I went or had I not gone, nothing would have changed except one thing, that that afternoon that was mine is no longer. When you go to a meeting, when you meet a friend, when you go to a birthday party or I don't know what social function, a baptism, this or that or whatever, or just going to work. You know, one of the things we will address, not in this talk, but in future ones, I can count more people that I know that are unhappy in their work but it pays the bills and so on. And you know what? I don't want to be ungrateful. Eros always starts off with, I don't want to be ungrateful. You know that the next thing is going to be, but I hate my job. Or, ah, uh, you know. And sometimes we get stuck in the past. A few, several years ago, we were in Cuba and we're, you know, on our, on our transport going from the airport to the resort. And we drove through part of the city. And you, you see these cars from the 70s these buildings, architecture, it's beautiful. It's beautiful, but it's from like 40, 50 years ago. And you're wondering to yourself, like, what happened? There's been no progress. When I spend a day, I wake up in the morning, I rush off to work that I don't really enjoy. I don't do very much. I come home. I'm kind of exhausted. I watch some TV. I have some dinner. I go to bed. The day before and the day after that, there's no difference. There's been no progress. That day in the middle, it, it might as well have not happened. I'm stuck in my past. There's something in my past that I won't let go of, that won't allow me to live in the future. Now, all of us ask the question, is there more to life than this? Is there more to life than a job that I don't particularly enjoy? 
than commitments that I would rather not have, than being stuck in a, a stage of life or a phase of life that I didn't anticipate being stuck in for so long. This series is all about that. That's what we're talking about. How to get unstuck and start living each moment like it's never going to happen again. Because guess what? It's not going to happen again. It all comes from finding the meaning that has been put there intentionally by an intentional God for this time in that moment. Here's a tip. If I look at my life and I find no meaning in it, maybe I should start looking outside of what I have defined as my life. So we have two daughters, Anna and Zoe. Anna's three, Zoe's one. Hi, Anna. <laughs> Hi, Anna. Um, they, play, they love playing hide-and-go-seek. They play hide-and-go-seek very differently. Um, Anna plays hide-and-go-seek by covering her eyes and counting to five and then coming and finding you, right? But she's the one who is supposed to be hiding. Zoe plays hide-and-go-seek by not telling you that she's playing hide-and-go-seek and going and tucking her away somewhere. And until you start saying, where's Zoe? Where's Zoe? Where's Zoe? She won't come out. So it's like if, you can't, if I can't find my daughter, I just have to walk around saying, where's my daughter? Where's my daughter? That has child AIDS society written all over it, eh? Right? The point is this. The point is that one person looks inside of themselves. The other one is looking outside of themselves. Both are good. Both are good. You know, when, we, when it comes to prayer, it's all about meeting God who dwells in the kingdom of heaven in my heart looking within. But when it, when it comes to not finding the meaning of my life in the circle which is my life, maybe it's time I started looking outside of that circle. Maybe, it, maybe I need a paradigm shift to realize that what's, what's going on that's meaningful is just at the border of my comfort zone. The preacher in Ecclesiastes says there's nothing, there's nothing new under the sun. Every day is like the next. Ever thought about monastic life? I, I actually never thought about this until I spent 40 days living in a monastery. One of the monks said to me, I asked him, so how do you know that you want to be a monk? He goes, well, most people just know that they could never be a monk. And I said, why? How come? He's like, it's obvious. Every day is identical to the one before. You live with the same 30, 40, 50, 80 people, sometimes six or eight people in the monastery. Every day, you have liturgy in the morning and then, you know, your, your work for the day and vespers and your prayers in the evening. And every day is exactly like the next. So if you look at the external part of their life, every day is the, is the same. There's nothing new under the sun. But that's because where they find meaning is not in the external things that you see. Where they find meaning is in what happens inside of them during their hidden life with God. I'm not suggesting that we should all force ourselves down that track and become monks and nuns, but the point is, it's very clear, it's very caricatural. Every day is the same. You ask somebody, how you doing, right? 
what do people often say? Same day, different stuff, right? There's got to be more. There's got to be something outside my circle of usual. Mary and I have developed a, a recent addiction to uh, a Netflix series called The Flash. So he's like this superhero who is the fastest man alive. And he can like, you know, run super, super fast and do all kinds of anything. He can kind of do it super, super fast. And the first, you know, the first couple of seasons are kind of interesting. But then by season three, like he can, he, he can travel so fast, he can travel in, into the past. And then he starts like changing the past. I don't want to ruin it for you if like you're a TV person or not, right? But you, right? And then like, and every, every, every season, something that's completely not in this frame of reality is introduced. You see, we've defined our frame of reality as being this big. I am a priest. So then this is what I do. I've identified myself by these li very limited parameters and not allowed for, for more creativity in the story. There's this other beautiful story. One of my favorite stories in the Old Testament is uh, where the prophet Elisha, the king, the king wants to kill Elisha. And uh, he sends a whole army to kill this one man. So... Uh, Elisha's servant looks out the window and he sees this whole army and he freaks out and he goes and he calls Elisha. He tells him there's a whole army here. And Elisha prays and he says, Lord, that you may open his eyes. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. God sent legions of angels of fire to protect him. He prayed, Lord, may you open the eyes of my servant. And of course, God rescues him in a very beautiful way. May God give you and me, may God give you and me to have our eyes open, to be able to see that which we couldn't see before. Jesus stands in the temple in the, on the Feast of Purification where they have these huge water pots full of water on these, on these pillars high up, right? And, he, and, and at the end of the feast, they, they, they pull on the water pots and the water pots turn and the water comes flowing out of the temple to wash out all of the blood and the sacrifice or whatever it's a kind of annual thing you know and jesus is standing there probably near hip high and water flowing out of the temple right and he says if anyone thirsts come to me and i will give you to drink jesus is saying don't look at this water that you know like i'm standing hip high in come to me come to me and i will give you something to drink the feast of tabernacles jesus says to the samaritan woman he says to her sorry in, in the same passage forgive me and also john 7 he says he who believes in me out of his heart will flow rivers of living water it's completely different the dead john versus the living john but there's only one life giver that i know and his name his name is god the holy trinity Jesus says, I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus delights in us having this really full, full life. When, uh, when Jesus, uh, when, when uh, uh, Peter and John healed 
the man who was lame, a few days after Pentecost. At Pentecost, 3,000 believed at the preaching of Peter. They went up to the temple to pray. There was a man who was lame. They heal him. They heal him, and he starts skipping and dancing and proclaiming the glory of God. 2,000 more people believe. Almost as many as the number, two-thirds of those who were converted at the preaching of Peter. They capture Peter and John and they want to put them in prison. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men. They marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus. Being with Jesus changes us in a remarkable way. Brings life where there wasn't before in a remarkable, remarkable way. St. Irenaeus of Lyon says, The glory of God is man fully alive. God is most glorified when your life is the most meaningful. When your life is the, the most full of life. I know it, it's, it's, it's like it, doesn't, it's like it sounds like it doesn't make sense. But the reality is, is that oftentimes my days are not full of life. Oftentimes my days are full of death. Mary was sharing with me that she had the privilege of meeting this man, Brother Andrew, speak. He was not a very remarkable person, not very well educated or very well trained. He actually spent most of his life not actually, or early, early life, not really believing in God at all. Until he got injured at war and his mom died while he was at war and she sent him a Bible and while he was in hospital he read it and, and he met God through that way and then and then it, it dawned on him that all the communist countries, he, he lived in Holland, and all the communist countries around him didn't have Bibles. So he said, well, I can, I can drive over there with a few boxes of Bibles. And if I get caught, I get caught. So that's what he started doing, smuggling Bibles into communist countries. And he would pray as he crosses the borders, Lord, you who made blind eyes to see, make seeing eyes blind. And they would unpack his trunk and lay it all out on the grass in boxes, boxes full of Bibles. And the guards are holding the Bibles. Pack them all back up again, put them in his trunk and tell him, Sir, go ahead. You know? And he tells story after story after story after story. Most unremarkable, unqualified, boring person you could have ever thought of. And God used him mightily. And his life was meaningful. And he started a whole, a, a whole organization of people who go and encourage underground Christians in these communist countries. Bringing them Bibles, but even more so bringing them encouragement. Look, Mother Teresa describes herself and her family describes her as the most ordinary person. Not particularly intelligent, not particularly eloquent. And look what God did with her. You're going to say, I'm no Mother Teresa. Well, you know, how about Hazel Million, right? Uh, um, the uh, mayor of Mississauga, for the longest time, has cooperated with so many organizations similar to the Coptic Church and the Coptic Church, and has, has made, has left a legacy behind her. Well, you want someone younger? How about Nermeen Riyadh? You know, these are people who are alive, right? Who started Coptic orphans. You hear her story? Find it on YouTube, right? 
A cause touched her and she decided to do something about it, one step at a time. John Rockefeller decided to give away $580 million to charity and make his legacy that his, his organization would continue to give to charity more than it makes. Every choice we make today influences the future. Back to our four men. They sit outside, they say, let's go to the, 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 uh, the enemy army. They go to see them. When they go to see them, they find the camp empty. They find the camp totally empty. They find food, they find clothes, they find weapons, you know, and they say, and they just start having a feast. And then one of them says something, he says, what we are doing today is not right. This is a day of good news, but we are keeping quiet. If you or I have experienced the difference between a day of death and a day of life, and you know what the transition between that is, why am I keeping it to myself? Why am I keeping it to myself? So they run back into the city and they tell the king, well, they tell somebody and they, they say, okay, they bring him to the, they bring them to the king. And then they go out and they venture into the, and they find that overnight, God sent one angel, just one, who killed 185,000 of the offending army and the rest went screaming and running for their lives. And they became the bearers of good news. They became these four lepers, these four nobodies, cursed to die. They became those who herald the good news. Those who bring news of victory that the enemy is no more. This isn't to talk about evangelism, but I can't help myself. Do you, do you know what the word evangelion means? The word evangelion is a Greek word which comes from ancient Greece long before Christianity. So it's not actually a Christian word. And it means the announcement that the enemy has been defeated and the king is returning in peace and the people of the king will reign with him. That's what it means. That's what spreading the good news means. That's what these men were, evangelists in the literal sense of the word, not in the Christianized sense of the, of the word. These four nobodies cursed to die, the most meaningless refuse of the city of God. God made their lives count, and he can make your life and mine count as well. When we... Be, when we find life, we become a source of life. That is God's call for you and God's call for me. God wants us to seize this moment and to make the most of it for his glory. St. Paul says, I will spend and be spent for the glory of God. In 2 Timothy, he says, he says, my, and now my life is, this is like the, his, the last letter he writes when he's in prison and he's expecting capital punishment. He knows Nero is going to chop his head off. He says, I have been spent and spent my life is being poured out. Imagine like when you're pouring something out and you're pouring it out to the last drop. What about you? What about me? Can our lives be poured out for, for God 
be poured out in meaning, in fullness, down to the last drop, that they may be full of life to everybody that we meet. Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen. Let's stand and pray. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Lord, we, we want, we desperately want, Lord, we desperately want, Lord, to come to you in your kingdom and to stand before you knowing that we didn't save anything for later. We spent it all. We gave it all up. We didn't hold back anything. We allowed ourselves to love and to get hurt, to pour ourselves out for you and for our neighbor. We allowed ourselves to work ourselves to exhaustion, to work ourselves to tiredness, to work ourselves down to the last moment, down to the last second for your glory, because you are worthy, because you, Lord, made your life count and you want to make mine count as well. Please, Lord, give us, give us to walk in your footsteps and in the footsteps of your saints, to do as you have done, to make our life full, full to the brim of meaning for you. In your mighty name, Lord, through intercessions and prayers of all your saints, prayers of St. Mary, prayers of all our friends who are in heaven, hear us, Lord, as we pray to you, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus, our Lord, thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. Amen.